Hello and welcome back to the Court Sense Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brian McInnes. And listeners, you guys are in for a treat this week as a guy that I've been saving for a rainy day finally makes an appearance. Jackson Wheeler is maybe the most popular guy in the history of the University of Hawaii men's basketball program. The former assistant coach put in two decades alongside Riley Wallace and Bob Nash, canvassing the junior college circuit to bring in some of the top talent to ever put on a Rainbow Warriors uniform. He got it done with a relatable and genuine personality that transcended just about all walks of life. If you didn't like him, well, that probably said more about you than him, if we're being honest. Wheels is still telling things like it is on his weekly radio show, Hoopstock, that he's done with Jeff Portnoy ever since he and the rest of Nash's staff got fired by UH in 2010. So deep was his affection for the state and the university that he turned right around and became a teacher there. In my opinion, he probably belongs in the UH Sports Circle of Honor for his role in shaping some of the program's best all-time teams in the 1990s and 2000s. After this pod was taped, the UH men eked out a two-point win over Long Beach State, 78-76, and actually, the UH women did as well, 77-75 at Long Beach. If the Bows can get another one from the beach today, they'll drastically improve their chances of avoiding the dreaded play-in round of the conference tournament. But now, let's hear from Jackson Wheeler. Check out Mike and Kara at Nokaoi Automotive in Kalihi for all your vehicle repairs and maintenance needs. Quick turnaround, affordable, honest, and ASE certified. Call or text 842-6453 to schedule an appointment today. That's 842-MIKE or email nokaoiauto at gmail.com. The best part? Mention the Court Sense podcast for a 10% discount. All right, this week's edition of the Court Sense podcast features a very special guest, a good friend of mine whom I've known f- since I started on the basketball beat at the University of Hawaii. That was, uh, gosh, 2008. It was really when I first got to know this guy. He was on staff under Bob Nash at the time, but he spent you know, a, almost two decades prior to that with Riley Wallace. It's Jackson Wheeler, the former associate head coach, now uh, teacher, professor at UH. Professor Wheeler, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I've been saving you not for a rainy day, but but kind of for a special occasion. You know, I don't I honestly don't know what's special about this week, but because you're here, it's a special occasion. So I appreciate that. You know, you, you're still a watcher of UH basketball uh pretty heavily. You, you know, do your own radio show weekly with Jeff Portnoy. You guys have been doing that every year since uh you've <laughs> you've stopped being a coach at the university of hawaii right let's say how it is we got fired that's how it works we got fired after a long time so yeah you, you stopped very suddenly being a coach <laughs> a euphemism for getting fired uh what's life been like for you the last decade well i've been very fortunate i i took a few months off after we got fired after being there for well over 20 years and then I was very fortunate. I did. I was too young to retire, even though I was fully vested. I could have. And my friend, who's now the dean of education, Nathan Murata, who was the chair of the Keras department, we had coffee one day. I said, "Hey, I want to come back, but I just kind of want to maybe do a little part-time stuff." And so he said, "Hey, I think I get you in teaching." So I came back on a part-time basis for 
maybe less than a year, it seemed like, but a couple semesters, that still counts towards retirement, which was good. Next thing I know, Nathan said, hey, I think we can get you full-time status. And from then on, it's been, I've been a full-time uh, teacher there for, I think this is about my eighth year. And it's really been enjoyable, uh, very fortunate. I teach uh, a wide variety of courses and uh, just enjoy the interaction with the, the students. Uh, my coaching had gone 30 years and I was plenty tired of it. And this has just been refreshing. And it's mostly kinesiology, right? I mean, that's the department you're in. Yeah, yeah I have. I'm fortunate. I have some activity classes that I have some regular classes. And uh, so they're all KRS majors for the most. I've got Upper division class, a writing intensive course, which I was going to say, writing intensive. That terrifies me that you are teaching a writing <laughs> intensive course. It's called coaching athletics, and it fills up the day it opens. It fills up. I mean, it's got twenty uh, spots in it because it's writing intensive. But I have uh, some uh, other courses uh, that are related to teaching and sports and and education. So it's just really, really fun, and I really miss being on campus with the students, but. Hopefully, uh, in the upcoming semesters, we'll see that return. Right. Uh, well, I, I mean, I've had some friends who have passed through some of your classes who, you know, they, they say they just, they, they love that experience for whatever reason, having this <laughs> guy. Well, it, it's an enjoyable. I keep it fairly light. Um, I just think that uh, education should be positive, not negative, and try to keep it that way. And, we, uh, we have a good time, and uh, for the most part, unless you really, really do a bad job, you'll probably be able to get out of the course with a passing grade, and, uh, and uh, usually they do a really good job for the most part. Well, Jackson, you, as I said, were a longtime head coach, uh, excuse me, assistant coach at UH. Um, prior to that, you were at St. Louis U. You, you were in the junior college circuit prior to that, right? Um, when you look back at your time at UH, I think you were – two decades, 20 years in total, if I'm not mistaken. I believe second only to Bob Nash in terms of longest tenured assistant coaches <laughs> at UH in the program's history. Um, so before we go into the current team, Jackson, and, and what you've observed about them, I mean, could you have ever guessed that you would spend that length of time uh, in one place out here? No, I, I never did. I, I kind of, before that, I was a junior college head coach and I just lost my wife. And, um, so um, it just was a passing thing. I thought it was just going to last a little bit. And little did I know, it lasted for over 20 years. And now going on my 31st year, I think, coming up at the University of Hawaii. That's crazy. Well, all right, Jackson. UH currently stands at 6-8 and eight in the Big West Conference, 8-8 eight and eight overall. They only played a couple of D2 preseason games. So the, the bulk of their schedule has been the Big West this year in this very unique special year of the pandemic of college basketball. Um, they need to go uh, 4-0 the rest of the way to finish above 500 going into the Big, the Big West tournament in Las Vegas. What's been your general read, you know, how this team has fared through the season to this point? Well, I think it's been very unusual for everyone because no one's been able to watch in practice. They had no preseason games. So I think – They've kind of had their ups and downs. I think Arad's actually done a pretty good job of keeping them continuing in the right direction. They were close, I think, to buckling during a couple stretches where they were losing some games. And then I think 
Actually, the game against Irvine, I think, helped them stabilize a little bit. I think he doesn't uh, really have a good feel for his team. I think uh, a lot of coaches are like that right now. And he's just trying to keep it together and move forward. And I think you see that week in and week out um, with how they perform. So uh, I think as a staff, they're just trying to keep it together. And I think they've done a pretty good job in reality of holding it at least somewhat in the right direction. Like I said, I think the Irvine game they lost out could have been dreadful, but that was kind of a turning point. They've been a little bit better after that. I mean, they're coming off a, a pretty tough loss to Cal State Northridge in which they had like a 23-point first-half lead that the Matadors just kept chipping at. They got it to overtime uh, where they prevailed at home. So UH had to settle for a split there. Uh, Bawali Bales banked in a three to put UH on top in the first of those two games. So, I mean, yeah, there's there's been some pretty wacky, wild finishes. Um, it, I think it's think it's fair to say that uh, it's kind of balanced out in terms of games that have gotten away from them that they maybe should have won and then games that they've won that they probably should have lost. I think in coaching you find out that what your team is is what it is. And if you're a championship ball club, you're going to win a lot of games and you're going to win some that you maybe shouldn't have. But they're always going to be, for the most part, Santa Barbara is an example of that. They're the most talented team in the league. They're going to win most of their games, whether they're close or not. And that's just how it works. So why is exactly what they are? They're probably a little below 500 ball club, in, even in the Big West. Most of the years since Rod's first year, that's exactly what they are. And it usually plays that way. And I still think this year will be hard to get 500, but they'll be right at it. And they'll be right in the middle of the pack. And, Hopefully we can get out of the first round this year for the first time in four years. Right. I mean, it, it has been kind of a uh, a broken record in terms of where this team's finished, right? And it's been basically right at 500 since, as you said, that first year uh, Coach Gannott came in when they won the Big West outright, or uh, I should say tied for first and then won the, the Big West tournament. Um, it, can it be a tough thing to just, I guess, break out of the, that, that mold of, of where a team's been for a certain number of years? Well, I think, unfortunately, we we talk about it all the time, ex-coaches here and ex-players. There's a little fool's goal for that first year, right? You come in there, and the next thing you know, you're, you're loaded up. I mean, they basically had three of the top five players on their team. And so they won 28 games, I believe, and they won the conference. And they were superior in so many ways to everybody else in that league in that year. Then Arad – had this little uh, cloud over his head with the with the NCAA stuff, but it played in their favor, I thought. It should have. And they got out of it. But the first, that year was a, a rebuilding year, obviously losing all those good players. But I think the problem you're seeing at the University of Hawaii with a lot of the Big West schools in Hawaii is a little different, but they just can't stabilize their recruiting what they're going to do. And Hawaii has told us what they're going to do. And it just hasn't played that way. So now we're back into almost like how we recruited transfers and junior college players. So I think until they get that figured out, and this is year six, it's going to be like it is. It's going to be about a 500 year, and they're going to be rebuilding continuously until they get really the equation they want to use to, to be a winning program. No, I, I mean, I think that, that sums it up pretty well, uh, what, we, what we've seen the last few years. And uh, they had a heavy amount of turnover going into this year, right? I mean, uh, when Drew Bugs leaves in the offseason, 
Uh, even guys like Dawson Carper go D1 to D1 elsewhere. Um, shoot, I mean, Samuta Avea opted out, citing, you know, COVID health concerns for him and his family. Um, still not sure if, if we'll see him again or not. Yeah, I mean, they, they just lost a lot of their scoring punch. I mean, of course, guys like Eddie Stansbury uh, finished up their eligibility, so he was going to be gone no matter what. To your point, how this season has gone so far, maybe to be expected to an extent, just given how many new faces they brought in. Well, I think college basketball generally, it's not just the Rods program. It's a lot of programs. If you have a really good player, they're going to look to transfer out of the Big West. They're going to try to improve themselves like Gomez, the kid from Northridge. He's at San Diego State now. They're probably going to make the NCAA tournament. He gets to play, plays in front of you know a real environment of college basketball. The environment that's been created by the NCAA with this availability of transferring and being eligible right away is hurting the lesser schools, the low majors, the mid majors. And then this COVID has even changed it even to a different level because now they can play this year. And the way I understand it, they can actually transfer out and not lose this year of eligibility and be able to go play somewhere else for another year. Right. It's yeah, it's been just absolutely crazy uh, what's on the table right now, for sure. In the sport that was already, ravaged by by transferring and then players being unsatisfied where they are i mean just the numbers were increasing year over year for sure so jackson how do you feel about the the new setup of the the big west tournament this year being that there's 10 teams in the league that are eligible uh uc san diego is not on the men's side at least they are on the women's side um but uc san diego being a division one transitional team for the next four years including this one as one of the four so they're out but the rest of the 10 teams are in and there's going to be a playing around for the bottom four teams, uh, something you guys and the old WAC had to navigate and try to avoid. So how do you feel about that format coming back? Well, I think, first of all, that Bakersfield and UC San Diego have been great additions to the conference. And there'll be factors in the years to come in the, the level of play of the conference. I think it'll improve with those two schools. I think that was a good addition. But um, obviously this COVID thing and UC San Diego not counting is – Weird, but they have to be able to play their games, which has been an obstacle. That proved out with the women not wanting to come here to play our women, and then they had that get all messed up. But I think the 10-team thing will be interesting. I think the playing games are always difficult. But in the Big West, we've seen it happen. You can see a team from the Big West in the playing game go to the championship. It's just how it is. And so uh, I think this year, though, the teams that are on the top are – way superior above the lower teams. And I think Santa Barbara's really good. I think I think Riverside and Irvine and Bakersfield are all capable of winning the tournament. And I think the other teams are just so deficient in so many ways that those other four will be able to, I think, move forward. I think you'll see one little upset here and there, but I think you're going to see three of those four, I think, may move through the tournament. I would maybe add Davis to that list as having some potential. I mean, they got a player of the year kind of candidate, Ezra Magnon, the little guard. Um, but yeah, right now there's clearly a line of demarcation after those four teams that you mentioned. Santa Barbara actually still riding a 12-game winning streak, while the other three of those four have, are coming off losses at the moment. So uh, we'll, we'll see what transpires there. I, Jackson, I'm going to set you up for a get-off-my-lawn kind of moment here. Uh, <laughs> How do you compare and contrast the current Big West to the old whack of your time? Well, I, I think it's hilarious to be here, some that we know uh, uh, personally, comparing the Big West 
with the old whack or the Mount West teams. I think it's comical. We were talking about the other day playing against Fresno State in the NIT. They had three NBA players that actually played in the NBA for a few years plus. The Big West is just what it is. It's a low major conference. It's I don't even consider it a mid-major conference. So I think that you look at where they fit every year, the, the net ratings now, it's called the net ratings. I think they're always like in the below 20s, which means they're in the bottom third of the conferences of the country. And the play shows that. Uh, I think you don't see anyone that's going to be an NBA prospect in the Big West at the moment, and I think you'll see that continually. They have to improve their out-of-conference play, and they have to perform better. They have to get some more exposure on TV. They're not hardly ever on TV anymore. And I just think to compare the old teams, I can say it now with a clear conscience because I don't have to look like sour grapes. The leagues that we're the teams we were playing against and the players were ridiculously good in those days, and it was fun. To watch the Big West and go through a game with a whole time that maybe you may not see one duck or one exciting play is hard to watch for me. But um, I think Hawaii has a chance if they can stabilize their recruiting to be one of the elite schools of the league. But until they do that, it's going to be difficult. Right. Well, Jackson, you, you got out here in the early 90s. And as you said, I mean, the WAC was at a fairly high level at that point. Uh, you came from St. Louis U. Pr- pretty good team, right? Um, can you just talk about tell, – tell me how it was kind of integrating with Riley Wallace's staff out here, how, what your relationship le- was like with him, how, how that kind of came to be that you would join him for as long as you did? Well, at, at St. Louis U, we actually played – it was funny that we played New Mexico – in the final four of the NIT. Both years I was at St. Louis, we went to the final four of the NIT, and I tell the story. The first year at St. Louis, we lost, I think we lost to St. John's in the championship. We came back, they had to close the whole airport wing to invite us back. It was like a pep rally. It was like the, all the top people in the town were there, the mayor was there, and all this. So come back, have a band and everything. And so next year, we're supposed to be one of the elite teams in the country. Preseason top 20 had NBA prospect. Well, things didn't go that well. We ended up getting to the NIT, which was a miracle. We lost again in the championship to Vanderbilt, the only team in the history of the NIT to do that back-to-back years. We didn't come back to any pep rally. We got back. We came back fighting for our lives as a staff, and the coach ended up getting fired a few years later. So, But we obviously we have real players. We had Anthony Bonner, who was a first-round NBA pick, 21, I think, Sacramento. Then I – was kind of going to take some time off, and Riley had heard that I was available through an assistant from USC that I was looking to take some time off. But Riley was looking for a young guy, come in, hopefully approve his recruiting. And he called me out of the clear blue, and I was in California, and uh, I had a home there at that time. And he said, hey, why don't you come out? And I haven't fired the guy that you're going to replace, but I'm going to fire him. So you got to come in as a GA. I came in as a graduate assistant for like a, about a month and whatever. And then Riley fired the other guy, and I joined the staff then. I think it was 89 I came. And, um, you know, people know I love Riley Wallace. Riley Wallace was the greatest boss of all time, the greatest person of all time, in my opinion. And I hope people realize now, after he's been gone, that he was by far one of the greatest parts of UH athletics history of all time. He's just, 
was a quality human being, and he never lost sight of the reality of what the difference between basketball was and real life. And what he did with the program playing against the teams that we played was amazing. What's, how's he doing these days? I mean, you kind of keep in regular touch, right? I know he's, he's, um, he had a couple of health scares there, but he's, he's still doing all right, right? Yeah, he's, he's hanging in there. I mean, I always uh, am very emotional when I talk to him because, you know, he still can't talk that well. He can't – people don't understand he, he has a hard time reading. These strokes took a lot out of Riley Wallace. And his light for life, I always tell people when I look at other people that are getting older, just like myself, some people the light is really bright. Some people it's sort of bright. Sometimes it's fading. Riley's is, is all right. It's, it's um, I hope, going to be with us longer than I expect. But I love the guy. It's hard for me to talk to him. I talked to Bob Nash the other day. I told Bob to give him a call. He loves to talk to people that were part of his life. And even though he may not know everything that's proper at that moment, he, he loves that. And Arad's really good at staying in touch with him. And so just everybody keep in your prayers and thoughts and remember what a great, great, great man he was. Well, uh, Jackson, when, once you got here, uh, I think you, you made a name for yourself fairly quickly for your ability to re- recruit the junior college circuit uh, and just bring in some talented guys. There are maybe some guys who are upstanding citizens, some guys who are rough around the edges, maybe slightly more of the latter than the former. But uh, <laughs> how would you describe kind of the way you went about your business, you know, not only at the junior colleges, but, I mean, that was where your bread was buttered for sure. I, I think that's fair to say, right? Well, I think the reason that Ryan and me were such a good fit is that that was kind of how he was putting his program together. He knew that for him to compete in the level that we were at in that conference, we were going to get the top high school players to come to Hawaii. So we had to look at junior college players, transfers. So it was just a nice fit. It was a smooth transition, and it just worked well for what we wore. Like, people don't know what time Ryan was offered a job at another place, and he came. We had a meeting. He said, Jackson, what do you think? And I said, I think we would fail there dreadfully because we would not be able to recruit like we do here. Certain programs fit who you are. Ryan was an ex-junior college coach. I was an ex-junior college coach. Bob played junior college. So we all knew what it was. So we kind of built our program around that. Some of our guys weren't the greatest guys, but we kind of got kickbacks. They were a little shaky at times, but they were competitive. They were tough. And when we showed up to play, I'll, I'll tell you this, the teams at our conference knew we were going to compete and we were going to play hard. We may not have the most talent every time, but we showed up and we were going to give everything we had. It just was a good fit. We never had any problems. We had our ups and downs because when you're recruiting junior college players, you're going to miss a hit once in a while. So we'd have some highs and we'd have a few lows and we'd get a high, but we were always stabilized. And we always had a saying in our office, our goal was to survive, out-survive the present AD. And almost to the T, we did. They were always getting fired and we were still standing, even though a couple of them wanted to get rid of us in the middle of our tenure, we were still there. um, I still laugh with you. There was one AD, I'll say you, Yoshida, they were wanting to make a change. And we happened to run the table. We won the conference tournament. I saw this picture, and I wasn't even there. I was recruiting. And Scott Rougeau called me. He goes, Jackson, you got to see the picture of the championship. It looks like Yoshida lost his whole family. Well, we knew at that time, if we would not have won that tournament, they were going to make a change. And we ran the table. Then, unfortunately for you, he was fired later. We stayed on. So, 
that's how it goes in college athletics, college basketball. But we usually made it, and we were there for a long time. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, that level of, you know, perseverance in one place is something that's rarely seen in college suits. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've had time to kind of sit back and watch the, the landscape of college hoops, you know, in the time that since you got fired at UH, finally, uh, they got you in the end. <laughs> um, what, what's kind of your take on, on the game in general? I mean, it's, it's a curious sport, right? Like just college hoops specifically within the game of basketball, when you're talking about the head coaching personalities, the, the, some of the player transfers, as we were talking about, Sometimes guys joining programs under shady circumstances. I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a very curious profession in my view. What do you think? I, I think from when I got into it to now, it's even worse when it comes to being, how do you want to say it? Um, the murky waters of college athletics and what really goes on because the money is so large. I mean, people have to realize that a wrong or not with no resume hardly at all. At this time, after having one great season as a head coach, which wasn't even in reality his program when he took it over, those guys were left over. Now, he had to coach him, but he makes twice as much almost as Riley Wallace ever made. So, and I say it all the time, his staff, his third assistant makes as much as I did as associate head coach for 14 years or whatever I was. The money is just blown out of proportion, even at the Big West level. You've got coaches making a lot of money that you never saw when we were in the business. So it's a business, I think Jamie Dixon says it best. It's the only job you could have where it pays to cheat. And it's proven that way. And unfortunately, that's where it is. If you don't kind of work around the edges, you're not going to survive. And it's getting worse. Because the NCAA, the leadership of the NCAA, allows cheating to prosper. And that's proven out. If you look at the top schools, so many of them have been in trouble, and they're still in trouble all the time. So a lot of it's the NCAA allowing it, but it's just college basketball is very crazy, and it's getting worse, I think. And as long as the money is as high as it is, you're going to see cheating at the highest level, and, and it's not going to ever change until – they get it under under control. You know, one thing they just are introducing is the possibility for athletes to to get a little endorsement. Uh, that is insane. That is way. insane. What, what, what do you think is going to happen with that, Jackson Wheeler? Well, I think, can you imagine, they can't control the schools as it is under the present context. How are they going to control endorsements? Who's paying? What they're making? What they're getting? Then have you seen this new rule? The NCAA is going to put out – they're going to put a rule where you can transfer from a school and be eligible no matter what right away. Can you imagine? It's already crazy to transferring. Now these guys are going to say, well, I'm not happy here, so I'm going to transfer. I think they had like 400-some transfers last year. They're going to have like 600 now. It's going to be insane. The NCAA is so out of touch in reality. They're trying – I talk about it in my class all the time. Their number one goal is to survive so that the big schools, the power fives, do not leave them and start their own organization because guess what? They're living large too on their end. They need them to survive. So they're all the rules. Everything benefits all the big schools. And so you're seeing worse situations now than you've ever seen before when it comes to equality for 
Alabama versus the University of Hawaii in any sport. See, folks, this is why I wanted to have Jackson Wheeler on. Once you just get him going, he, he'll just he'll just keep rolling right along. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Unfortunately, I tell the truth. You I do. don't edge around. It's a, I tell it's the a rare truth skill. About college athletics, and I talk about it in my class all the time. I I was not a perfect soul. I did I ever give people subs of money? No, but did I do things that were probably survival oriented? Sure, but what these guys do now. I know what they're doing, and it's scary stuff. And you're seeing it, right, Brian? You're seeing the shoe contracts, the money that's been paid out. You're seeing different things come to light that are just people can't imagine ever happened, but it happens all the time. They just happen to catch a couple of these guys. It's going on across the country. Trust me, there is money that's going out these doors to get players to go to their schools that are outrageous. Well, I mean, the FBI tried to kind of chip or chisel away at that a bit, right? But they, they kind of, I think, hit a, a point of where they just got stymied. Like, they, they hit like a, a brick wall of sorts. I mean, it's, they're still going after a couple schools, I think. But, you know, Kansas and Arizona still got some stuff hanging over them. But for the most part, it's played itself out. Was that, when you were watching that, were you, I mean, surprised at all? Were you disappointed that they didn't get more? They got guys on tape saying they were going to pay people. The head coach. And they still have – they're still working. I turn on LSU, I see Wade, who I guarantee is giving out so much money to players. It's probably beyond our imagination. Sean Miller, no cheater. Everybody in the business says the worst cheater at Division I still coaching at Arizona. I mean, Bill Self obviously got caught. And their, their school's still protecting them like they did nothing wrong. And they have all kinds of examples, proven things that they did that were totally violations. So it's just part of the NCAA trying to – you're going to see people take falls, but it's going to be pick and choose by the NCAA. NCAA is negotiating, I guarantee, at this moment every day with the FBI. Okay, I still think Sean Miller is going to be one that's going to get whacked. There's going to be people that are going to fall – there's going to be people that are going to survive because they have to allow that to stabilize their economic situation in college athletics. They cannot have Kansas not be in the field and the play. They can allow Arizona to be out for a little bit, but they need certain schools, Kansas, Kentucky, those types, North Carolina. They cannot punish them at a high level. LSU, I think, is going to take a beating, but because of their football power, they'll be a little less than like Arizona would be. So, I think you'll see it play out like that, and I think it'll prove out what I've saying, that some will bite the dust, take a hard hit, some will get slaps on the head and still survive. Well, Jackson, I think we could talk about that for the, you know, the remainder of the pod, but I'm, I'm going to go <laughs> back to you know, your days as a recruiter. Um, I, I think people can you know, probably hear why uh, you're an engaging personality. Uh, you have an uncanny knack for being able to relate to folks of all different parts of life, uh, backgrounds. Where, where do you think that came from? I mean, you grew up in California, uh, like the Central Coast area, right? And how, how were you able to just kind of evolve your career to where you could just recruit all these different personality types and, and sell a place like Hawaii to them? Well, I think, you know, I don't want to go into my life story, but I, I, you know, you know, I came from a fairly rough background. I was, you know, I was in foster care a lot of my life. And, um, just kind of survival. I think it taught me a lot of skills that worked well in 
my jobs as a, as a coach. I had never planned on getting into coaching. It just kind of happened. But I think when you kind of learn how to survive in the world and get by and, and make things work, I think that helps you when it comes to recruiting players that are also a lot of them are from bad backgrounds. They're, they're trying to survive in a, in a rough environment. I, I just had a skill. I don't know where it came from, but I think I'm good at building relationships, communicating, and I kind of cultivate, I think, I cultivate people wanting to have me help them. And uh, so it's worked that way. And my dog is barking, sorry, Jax. And so I just think my skills came from that and just being around college sports and being around a little rough environment. Yeah, no, well said. I mean, you, you definitely had a, like I said, a, a pretty uncanny knack for, for being able to make that translate into success. And I think the greatest run of success you had um, during your time at Hawaii, for sure, but may, maybe you would say, I don't know, through your whole entire coaching career, you, you can uh, speak to that, that run of four straight postseason appearances. Um, oh, Jax is all worked up now. <laughs> Jax is all worked up. I'm getting up here. <laughs> yeah, that four, run of four straight postseasons, two NCAAs and two NITs from 2001 to 2004. Uh, you guys were kind of at your peak in the Riley Wallace era for an extended period of time. What, what was that stretch of time like to be a part of for you? Well, I tell people truthfully, um, I worked hard, but at the University of Hawaii, because of your circumstances of recruiting, you need two people that really know how to recruit. And there was a person on our staff that was really good. And people, I think he should be a head coach somewhere. He's a different cat, but he, he has a lot of skills that were important to us succeeding. And I'm talking about Scott Rougeau. Uh, well, we had two people that really worked full-time recruiting. Look what happened. I mean, we were, we were tough. And uh, it was just a difficult situation when I was pretty much working by myself. I was on the road all the time. But with Scott, we had two people that were experienced recruiters, and we mixed our skills together. And then what we got was this over-the-top, I think, talent level for our school that was crazy you think about the players we were running through there it was really mind-blowing and Scott Rougeau also was a really really good basketball coach and that helped a lot he helped coach you with Riley he helped stabilize a lot of things that we were a little bit shaky on and um, I give him a lot of credit I don't take all the credit for us being good in the early 2000s it was a lot because we have Rougeau on our staff and Scott Rougeau was really good. So how, how about, you know, when you're actually there at the games for those teams, of course, I mean, you got Savo in English and, uh, you know, Haim Shimonovich coming over from Israel. And, um, you know, just you guys brought in this this full, you know, international cast of characters. And, I, and to your point, I think Scott had a lot to do with that, right, uh, as far as those international guys. But, um, I mean, seeing the, the kind of uh, talent you guys had there, I mean, even at the tail end of that run, uh, you know, Phil Martin, and, uh, you know, guys like Michael Kubler coming in from junior college, uh, the mix was right. I think that that's safe to say. And uh, what's it like, I guess, during during a game, being able to maybe sit back a little bit, bit and see the uh, the fruits of your labor kind of, uh, you know, being on display like that? Well, coaching those guys was as easy as could ever imagine. I mean, they – I still tell people all the time, Riley was very stubborn about how things were going to be during a game, and he would – not listen to a lot of things from players. But in those years, guys, I still remember 
I tell this story all the time. We were playing Tulsa. We were, they were making a run on us for the WAC championship. We were there. The crowd was going crazy. And, and one of the players, I think it was, uh, I think it was Hyde, came over to the sideline and said, hey, let's run special. And I think we'll score a basket and probably get a foul. And then they had kind of cut the lead. And so Riley said, okay, we'll run special this play we had. And we scored a lamp and we got an one and went from like five-point lead to eight. And that was the game. They were they were coaching, they were thinking the game like to win the game. They never were thinking about anything but winning the game. Those guys, one thing about those guys, Carl, Phil, Sabo, Mark Campbell, Hyde, all they really been dog is they showed up to win the game. They weren't worried about what they were gonna do. They were just really there to win the game. And whatever they told you during the game was pretty much spot on. So Coaching them was easy. They showed up to work every day. They went to school. They were good students. It was a dream coaching after what we had before. We had some great teams before that with guys that were a little different. You know, people thought we did it on purpose. It just kind of happened that way. And it was very fun and, and very enjoyable. And um, I can't even tell you what it was like every day showing up to work in those days. It was so much fun. You knew that you're going to win most of the time and you were going to have a lot of fun doing it. Jackson, who would you say was uh, the one guy that, that you got the most gratification for, for bringing in and see, you know, d- develop and have success. I mean, there's been guys like AC Carter, uh, you know, Trevor Ruffin. I, I mean, who, who's kind of the one guy you can point to and be like, that worked out all right. <laughs> well, I think my favorite team that I coached there was, I mean, obviously, all those guys were great in the early 2000s. I love those guys. I have relationships with all of it. But my favorite team that was there was Trevor's team when we had this cast of what I consider kind of misfits. We had Kalia McGee, who was kind of edgy local kid. We had Jared Okada, who was from Molokai, just a small-town kid. We only played six people, really. Trevor was the two-guard who was been all over the place and, was just an incredible player. We had Phil Handy, who was also rough around the edges and came on a kickback from a junior college. And we had John Millay, you know, who unfortunately passed a while back. Another kickback from San Diego State Junior College was our format in a league. He was 6'5", played against 6'10", 6'11", guys. And then we had Tony Brody, another guy, started at Canisius, went to a junior college, got it back. That was one of my favorite teams because those guys were playing – against people and they knew how to find a way to win and they were tough. They represent, I think, Riley as well as any team he ever coached because those guys, if you wanted to get into a real fight and really get into a battle, every one of those guys would be there fighting a way to win the battle. And they proved that winning the tournament that year. They were just a special group of guys. Now, were they crazy sometimes? Were they edgy? Were they not good academically sometimes, where they sometimes shaky the community, came to certain things. Yeah, but in reality, they're all really, really good people. And for the most part, all became pretty successful. And trust me, they did something that was unheard of to run the table in that conference at that time. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I mean, that year, I want to say, Jackson, started off pretty rough. Didn't you guys go up to Alaska and get beat by about 50 points a game? on average up in the great Alaska shootout. Do you remember kind of coming back from that and just, you know, having that team pull itself together along the way? 
Well, J.D. Dixon came down the hall. We were playing the last shootout. We were going to play, I think, Portland the first game. And obviously, our program was much bigger than the usual Portland did. And J.D. was our third guy. He did all the scouting. J.D. said, hey, you won't believe it. Their best player, he's not even here. He's out. So we're going to win for sure. I think they beat us by 40. I don't know what it was, but it was silly. I think it was 47. Yeah. And so there was just a rough trip. And then I think we went, we got killed in all those games. And we, we had tried, I think he allowed Jamie to put in a new offense and it just wasn't working. And then we went to North Carolina and we played pretty well, but the team had talent. It's just, when you get that many new guys, it's just hard to uh, put them together. But, that team, we knew, had a lot of talent. Riley never really gave up. He just knew it was going to be rough when it started. Then we kind of got ourselves together, and the rest was history. I mean, shoot, you guys played a ranked Louisville team in the Rainbow Classic Championship, right, and gave them everything they wanted, Danny Crum and those guys. Uh, Trevor yeah, I, think Trevor had, I think Trevor had eight three-pointers or something. Ten, in that game, something. And it's still a record. Yeah, it's still a record. And I think the one he missed, I think he only missed like a couple, but one was an in and out. At a critical time, I think they had three NBA players. I think two of them were lottery picks, and they were just a team that showed up once they got their vibe, they got their feet under them. In Division One basketball, they were rough to beat, and they really competed. That league had a lot of pros that year. Our schedule was rough, but guess what? We may have lost some games, but we always showed up. So, uh, Wheels, how many of these guys do you keep in touch with these days? I mean, you've established so many relationships not only with the players but you know, I mean your fellow coaches there's been so many guys on staff who've come and gone over the years I mean you mentioned guys like you know Jamie Dixon Scott Rougeau uh you know Bob Nash of course shoot and and even like media members like me how, how do you how do you you got like a massive Rolodex somewhere I mean how do you maintain <laughs> all these things well I'm not I really Riley always gets on me he says I should I remember Riley was totally not where he is now but he always just tell me Jackson you should make a list of people because you're not good as some people are getting in touch with some of your past uh, involvement in life. And I, I have a lot of close friends through the business, um, obviously. Um, all the media people I have a good relationship with here. And I think uh, Riley, obviously, and Bob. And, and I'm still in touch with Scott and Jamie. And a lot of guys, and some of the ex-players I'm not as close to as I used to be because they, they go along with their lives so and they get going. And, one thing about being in Hawaii, you kind of can lose touch sometimes. But every one of those people, when I see him, when I saw Carl this year when he came back, it was just like being, just like we just left the playing for us. It was just like the same old Carl and same old craziness and uh, just great fun. But I just have been very blessed. As you know, I've had a great life. My life here over 30 years now has been unbelievable. And my wife's great. I've been fortunate to live in a place that I love and work at a university that I love. And and all the people I've been around for the most part, except for a few, I won't say every one of them, but for the most part, I've been really blessed and my relationships are strong. And I'll finish my life here. I'll split it between Waimea on the Big Island and here. And, and I've just been very blessed and fortunate. But yeah, I have a lot of great relationships with these guys and I really appreciate it. All right, Wheels. Well, thank you for making uh, so much time from your day for the Court Sense podcast. And uh, it has been an adventure for you. No, no doubt about that. Any two ways. <laughs> well, I, I wish the university the best in athletics. I think we're in a transition time. I hope they can stabilize it. And uh, I think they need to get creative. And 
for let's get UH back on the map across the board in all the sports that I think we need support for the community, the media, the people, but I think we need to be realistic and do the right things or we're going to get lost in the shuffle and I don't want to see that happen. All right, Jackson Wheeler. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian.